tuned in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So this clip comes from episode number 230 with John Goodwin, who at the time was Academy Head of Sports Science at Fulham Football Club. We discuss overcoaching and overcueing in agility and speed sessions and how we can set things up to make sure that that doesn't happen. But just before we dive into this Bite Size episode, I want to say a big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today. So if you're looking for a free solution to collect analyze, visualize, and present data to coaches, check out free AMS Lite from Rock Daisy. And you can you can find that at rockdaisy.com. Um, one thing that I wanted to, to tap into is obviously the, the, the coaching of coaches throughout your time at St. Mary's to obviously to Saudi and I'm now at Fulham. And the some of the common themes that you see in terms of the misunderstandings of the coaching coaching practice misunderstandings that that drive um, coaches to do certain things where they could be spending time elsewhere or drive poor practice in specifically in your area of speed and change in coaching speed and change direction. Is there anything yeah. that stands out that is that keeps coming up every single time you move jobs or get another cohort of coaches or whatever that may be that yeah. that really pings in your brain of we're going through this again. Um. With developing coaches, yes, and, and I, I guess a little bit with coaches who are already fairly far on their journey, but certainly with earlier stage developing coaches. And I don't know if it's driven by, particularly in the UK, people's expectations of what the UK SCA ask of people. And I say expectations because it's not, I think it's an incorrect interpretation of what the UK SA are asking of people, but I understand why people end up this way. But but coaches who are who over regress and over coach or over cue, um, like in in a general sense, that's the the biggest problem I see. So people who want to take athletes, strip athletes' movement back too far. And you end up with drills that are so regressed, they're just not challenging the athlete anymore. The athlete's just going through rope movement practice in a way that isn't really challenging them to develop. And then when Can that... Can give you some examples there, John, if possible? Um, so if you take something as simple as a, like a ready position in agility... Um, bringing athletes back to a stage where they're doing movements in ready positions that are so detached, so lacking in dynamicism, dynamism, dynamicism, I don't know which one, um, <laughs> so devoid of any sort of problem the athlete's having to solve, you're just asking them to find shapes and positions that are fairly basic when it might not even be necessary at the moment for them. And then and then over-queuing those things. So basically, athletes aren't just doing something which is too regressed. They're doing something which is too regressed and learning how to move like a robot because you know, they're being cued on their posture and they're being cued on their foot position. They're being cued on their knee alignment. And they're being cued on where their hands are. And they're totally losing sight of what the purpose of this is, which is to learn to be more athletic um, so 
and, and I think, and that's why I said that comes, it's not what the UKSA ask for, but it's what people perceive the UKSA to ask for accreditation because they get told they need to coach an agility drill. And the only thing that they're really aware of in coaching is that, well, if they can't do this one, they need to take it back to a more simple one, which is a reasonable, that statement on its own is reasonable. And I need to help athletes discover how to find good shapes and telling them what that good shape is seems like a intuitive solution for a coach and is really historically the norm. So I understand why people end up doing that. Um, but for me, what we should what we should be training athletes to do in terms of agility is learn how to solve problems effectively. So if I'm not giving the athlete a problem to solve, all I'm doing is telling them how to move. They're not learning how to become good problem solvers. So, and that's, I think really, I think really common. Um, and I, I guess if, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I, re I reckon 2000 and six, seven, eight, if you had asked me how I coach agility, uh, it wouldn't have been as far as the problems I've just described, but it would have been a bit like that in terms of it's a bit like what I characterize as an exos, an exos model of agility, which is you've got this toolbox of fundamental agility movements and you're going to teach athletes how to move with precision and accuracy and some fluency in that prescribed toolbox of agility movements. And my my it's just my my read. I think I think that's a bit like the way Exos are. So we have a cross step and a ready position and a drop step or whatever else, however you want to characterize your movements, you have your set of movements. And that would have been how I coached agility 10 years ago. Um, but definitely where I've shifted is towards a model where I, like I say I want I want the athletes solving more problems and I end up somewhere in the middle of what I see as a bit of a polarized debate at the moment so we've we've got people that really want to drive towards the role of of context being really important to teaching agility or teaching movement or teaching sport and context being everything versus at the other end of the spectrum, people who were, have historically been movement quality is everything. And I'm kind of hovering in the middle of those two. And I shift more towards one end of that spectrum or the other, depending now on what I see as the needs of the athlete. So if I have an athlete who's a really appears to be a really gifted mover and finds really good shapes, then we'll spend much more of our time focused on solving more contextually relevant problems. And if I have an athlete who I think is struggling from a movement perspective, then we'll regress back towards those, those simpler movements, the more, more decontextualized practice which is effectively becoming more closed 
in terms of a rehearsal of movement, um, but always with a view that I'm trying to give the athlete opportunity to solve problems. But for the athlete who isn't a good mover, solving a problem that requires speed, fluency, management of their body weight and mass distribution with gravity, the physics of that creates enough problems for them to have challenges. And that's the level of regression I'm willing to go to. And kind of that's why I talk about coaching ugly. So I always want to be making sure, even when I've regressed to a more closed environment to practice movement, I still want to be making sure my challenges are sufficient that what I don't have is a nice YouTube video of an athlete executing perfect agility movements and running routes. I don't, I don't really want to spend time doing that. I want to spend time with a drill that's regressed or progressed just enough that things are constantly in and out of being a little bit ugly. Like they're not able to solve the problem quite properly yet. And then we can hover around the way in which I'm challenging that movement problem, tweaking it, whether it's the speed, whether it's the eccentric load, whether it's the level of banking I'm asking for from their body position, whether it's that we're going to accelerate out straight or accelerate out with a turn, whether it's that I'm going to give them a shove and destabilize them halfway through their cut or halfway through their cross step. Like whatever it is, I want to find ways that they're always solving problems with that movement, constantly being challenged to find an effective way to, to use their body. Uh, and the same thing goes for, for, for queuing. Like some of people over queuing. The problem is what I see with some people who are driving towards sort of ecological psychology is that people perceive that it's not necessarily sold that way, but so, I see people perceiving that to mean that queuing is necessarily a bad thing, but queuing isn't a bad verbal feedback from a coach. I don't see as a bad thing. If you understand what it's doing and that I don't need to be necessarily telling an athlete how to move, although in some situations I might, but I don't need to be doing that. What I need to recognize is that my verbal cues are directing an athlete's attention. So what they're paying attention to as they go through the movement, or it's affecting their intention. So what is it they're trying to achieve through this movement? And if I can, if I can recognize the way that my verbal feedback modifies those things, it's nudging and tweaking the way the athlete is then, is then solving a problem. Um, and really, I think all coaches are effectively already, they're already, all coaches are constraints driven. Like almost the term constraints driven coaching is a little bit redundant because all coaching is constraints driven because every movement an athlete does, if you're of the ecological psychology sort of bent, if that's where you sit, um, everything the athlete does in all of their training is a combination. Their outcomes are a combination of sort of them, their environment and the task. Uh, and it doesn't matter what style of coaching or the way I'm delivering cues or the way the drill is set up, their outcome is still derived from 
their abilities and perceptions, the task and the environment around them, that doesn't change. So the constraints on the athlete are always an influencing factor on their movement outcome. What I, what I need to spend a bit of time paying attention to is the way in which my constraints modify modify that outcome and the extent to which I'm leaving an athlete freedom to try and find solutions to problems. Um, and as much as anything, this is where people on the on the constraints-driven side tend to do a lot. As much as anything, that's about trying to facilitate the athlete uh, getting their feedback. So if we're if we're trying to learn stuff, getting their feedback from the environment and their task outcome and how things feel and what outcomes they're able to produce, getting their feedback from there rather than necessarily getting their feedback from the from the coach um, I'm just wary I feel like people are sometimes drifting too much that way that they forget that input from the coach can be a really effective way to direct an athlete's attention or intention to enable to, to nudge their problem solving in a direction that we think is productive so you're not you're not determining how they make decisions and solve problems, but you're nudging it in a way that you think is helpful for them. And I think that's an important part of your job that people shouldn't lose sight of. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Pacey Performance Bite Size. So if you want to listen to the full episode with John, you can check it out. It's episode number 230, and you can get it on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to Rock Daisy for sponsoring this episode today, and I will chat to you next time.